Julie. Hey, Lisa. How are you? I'm doing really well this week. How about you? I'm doing okay. It's been a little bit of a rough week for me, but I'm hanging in. Um, I know. Yeah, I know. You know. Um, Emotions this week, so. Yeah, but uh, a bright spot definitely was having the opportunity to watch the inauguration yesterday. It was just so uplifting. I was just incredibly moved by the way that the inaugural committee was able to make everyone feel a part of it in spite of no one being able to attend. I thought that was really quite an achievement, and I really enjoyed having the opportunity to watch Kamala Harris be the first uh, female vice president, woman of color, um, being sworn in with my children. It just really moved me to tears. It was really neat. It was remarkable. I feel like it was definitely, I told my kids, you know, it's always important to watch the inauguration, but you are watching history. And it really, and it was really neat that it's in our backyard. And in a, in a normal year, we would have tried to go down to watch and celebrate there in person, but you're right. They did such a, such a really um, remarkable and meaningful job putting together with it's had to be a huge challenge to try to figure out how to um, how to how to execute this in a way that was meaningful. And it was I, I definitely think it's one that will go down in the history books. And I was particularly happy that we could watch it like we could actually see history in the making. Well said. I totally agree. It was it was great. So um, put a little pep in my step yesterday. And I feel like um, I feel like a lot of our runners felt like they had really good runs yesterday. And <laughs> you know, it's, um, I was um, I rode Zwift yesterday and I did a Zwift has a tour de Zwift event going on where you ride a certain ride every week or every four or five days. You ride a particular ride and you try to do all the stages of and it's a group ride, which is fun. Um, so you go in to the ride and there can be a thousand, two thousand 3,000, 6,000 other riders, and there's a little chat that you can actually, people can chat. And when I went into the ride yesterday, it was really, it was like buzzing. I, I tried to take a screenshot. I was buzzing with excitement of like, you know, people will check in and say, hello from England, hello from, you know, wherever they are. And, you know, somebody chimed in, hello from the brand new USA. And people were like saying, congratulations. And, um, you know, hello. Oh, like, better watch out for me today. I've got a little extra, you know, a little extra adrenaline today. And it was just neat to see the chatter. Like, it was very um, uplifting and everyone was really excited. I, I rode right after. I rode in the afternoon. So it was right after um, all of the formalities and the ceremonies. And you could tell people were people were excited. So it was it was just it felt really good at that point. And and even um, people from other countries were chiming in of like, welcome back, USA. or. Wow. We're so happy for you. So it was, a, it was a really, it was a good vibe. I think in general, you know, people were just feeling really good yesterday. You're not even, not just here, but internationally as well. So that was fun to see. That's great. And we didn't realize when we planned this podcast, but it, it recording for this week, but we decided to bring on two amazing women, um, Pastor Christine Dunn and Rabbi Lori Rice, both of whom are avid runners. We coach Rabbi Lori Rice and Christine Dunn is someone who runs in our community and is an avid marathoner and Boston marathoner, both incredible women. And the theme of this week's episode is unity. And we didn't realize, of course, that the theme yesterday was unity. And it it really was appropriate because um, the discussion we had today and hopefully even those watching that aren't 
supporting the president, hopefully they'll see that the intentions, hopefully everyone will feel it, are unity. And while we all come from different places and have different issues that we feel need to be addressed, and some people are ecstatic about yesterday, some people are greatly disappointed. But until we come together and find our commonalities, nothing's going to get better. So today's recording wasn't challenging because immediately we realized that all of us had so much in common, but it was really cool to hear Pastor Christine and Rabbi Lori's thoughts on being spiritual leaders during this crazy year and and what they've gone through as leaders in their communities and how they've garnered strength through their running to be able to show not only leadership, but empathy and, and address all of the issues that so many people are dealing with among their congregants and of course themselves. So it was really cool how it all dovetailed this week with the theme of unity. Don't you think? I do. And I, what I really loved was how many times um, Lori or Christine would say like, yeah, it's like, you know, they're, they, they come from different, obviously different religious backgrounds, but how many times they agreed on and, and shared co- common um, experiences and common reactions to things. And it just was really, um, it, it was really notable to me and, and really, um, uh, you know, the, the, takeaway from our conversation with them is, I think, really important to moving forward. And like you said, whether you um, are on board with this new administration or you're not on board with this administration, their message is is really leading us forward. And I think, like you said, we didn't plan it, um, but I think both of us really needed this this week um, and really appreciated their their insights and their guidance. And we could have talked to them, I think, for hours longer. And I'm I know they're going to connect after to talk to each other and follow up with, they didn't know each other before this, but to follow up with each other, because I think they, you know, they felt that connection as well. And again, different backgrounds, different experiences, but, um, but shared connections. For sure. Well said. So before we turn it over to Lori and Christine, we just wanted to mention something that we have coming up in less than two weeks on January 31st. We are hosting a free webinar at 7 p.m. It's a Sunday evening with our favorite physical therapist, Rachel Miller of ProAction Physical Therapy, and a wonderful gynecologist who specializes in menopause, Dr. Toby Beckerman. And the theme of the free webinar is running through menopause. We saw a tremendous need for this information Uh, not only for our runners, but for all of our friends and and us. We're all in our 40s. So many of us are going through changes and we want to better understand what's happening and how we can be armed with the tools so that we can continue to run strong and navigate through this phase without feeling confused or not sure how to train properly, what to eat and all of those things. So this is going to be part one of a two-part webinar series we're doing. Uh, Part two will be in February, but the registration link is available on our socials and also on our website. And we already have, how many people do we have registered already? So I checked, it was close to 150. So, uh, you know, it's, there's definitely a need for this and kind of a, I think, uh, you know, there's a, there's a space for this knowledge that's not really out there. And we've always, as coaches and as runners have always taken the approach of 
the more knowledge we have that we have under in our arsenal, the better we're able to figure out how to structure our training, how to structure our goals, how to frame our whole, how we look at our training and, and our expectations of ourselves. And um, I, I think that's why this is so important, not for just the, those that are currently going through menopause, but those who are approaching approaching menopause, those who have gone through it and are past it, um, even just coaches or people who work with r runners um, or other athletes, but particularly runners, and want to understand um, that's the best way to really be able to be effective coaches and effective um, our own coaches, you know, effectively look at our own training is, is have that knowledge of like what's going on and what's the physiology behind this. And okay, so given that, what, how do I then adapt my, my training, my, uh, my goals, you know? Um, so it's, I think it's going to be a really, I think there's a thirst for knowledge based on the registration that we've had so far. And there is an opportunity to submit questions ahead of time. We'll get to as many as we can. Uh, so there is a link in the confirmation for the tickets that has um, the online tickets, not a real ticket, but there's a link that has uh, that can take you to a page where you can enter questions. And um, we'll also send that link out to all the participants before uh, next Sunday, so a week from the Sunday. But so next week, we'll send that link out to give another opportunity to ask questions. And we'll try to get to as many of those as we can. Yes, excellent. And so before we turn it over to Rabbi Lori Rice and Christine Dunn, uh, we just want to share a little bit about each of them. So um, I will share that uh, we met uh, Christine, Pastor Christine, through the Montgomery County Roadrunners Club, and she is a pastor in the area, and we've had the opportunity to work with her um, also on the Interfaith 5K, which obviously was didn't take place this year, but it's a race that brings together churches and synagogues and mosques in the community over Memorial weekend. She's a fantastic runner. She's run Boston a number of times. She's a mom and just an all around great person. And we are so excited that she um, came on board to join us. And Lisa, why don't you share a little bit about Rabbi Lori Rice? Yep, and Lori Rice, actually, I love my story about Lori Rice. Um, I uh, have uh, family relation kind of cousins that were married, um, oh gosh, over 10 years ago now. And um, they are friends with her husband, um, Rabbi Flip, who did their their wedding ceremony. And when I was at uh, my friend's uh, 50th birthday last, exactly a year ago now, really, like it was, well, it was February a year ago before ever, anything hit and we could still travel. And I went to New York for, um, for Alan's 50th, surprise 50th birthday party. Rabbi Flip was there and I was talking to him and he was so proud of his wife. I, I still remember how he was just bragging about how his wife is this awesome runner and he's so impressed with her and how she's so dedicated to her training and how he should connect us because she thought, you know, he thought that she would really enjoy um, listening to our podcast and talking to us. And she did. She connected with us um, shortly after he got home and we've stayed in touch with her um, for the last year as she's, um, you know, kind of uh, navigated the pandemic. And uh, she turned to us uh, at the end of this year and beginning beginning of the current year and um, to get some direction to her training and she just said she really needed some structure and somebody kind of keep a check on her with some goals that she has in 2021 so we started coaching her and she and um, Rabbi Flip uh, her husband co-officiate they are both um, on the rabbinical staff at Congregation Micah right outside of Nashville Tennessee in Brentwood and um, she's just a phenomenal very experienced runner she started running long long time ago when she was in college and was running in cotton shirts and tube socks 
books and having no idea what she was doing. And so she's had a really long um, running career that's gone through different phases. And she's just, um, you know, super focused. And uh, we, we've loved working with her. And, and she's uh, just a great person and has a lot of really great insights. Yeah, both of them. I was amazed by the things I shared in this episode. We know we we know everyone's going to really enjoy what uh, both women had to say. We certainly did. So without further ado, we will turn it over to Rabbi Lori Rice and Pastor Christine Dunn. Lisa, I hope you have a great week. You too, Julie. Bye. Bye. Hey, listeners, are you enjoying our podcasts and coaching advice? Do you feel like some guidance and accountability could help you stay motivated and focused during these uncertain pandemic times? We love connecting with our listeners and collaborating to make training work for your goals, your life, your personality. As a thank you for listening to our podcast, we want to offer any new clients $20 off the first month of coaching, which is normally $150. Email us at julieandlisa at runfartherandfaster.com to set up a time to connect over the phone to learn more. And be sure to mention this special offer as one of our loyal listeners. Pastor Christine Dunn and Rabbi Lori Rice, welcome to the Run Farther and Faster podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks. Thank you for having us. Well, we're really particularly excited to have you this week. We thought it was really appropriate. We thought this week, um, the theme of this week, first of all, in people maybe just looking to for some spiritual guidance, is also <laughs> unity. And, um, you know, we we know both of you through the running community. Um, Lori, we coach you and you're a, you know, an experienced runner. And um, Christine, we've known you through our local running community. And you're also one of the um, key players in our Interfaith 5K that we, until the pandemic struck, had. And it was a really wonderful, wonderful event. So, um, you know, unity being a theme this year and this week. And not only that, but um, you're both women in positions that were have traditionally been dominated by men in, in the past that's changing. Um, but we thought that was really, um, really relevant too. So on many levels, we're, we're really happy to, to have you here. And we thought we'd kick off since we are a running podcast, um, you know, we'll launch into your, um, your clergy roles uh, shortly. But since we are a running podcast, maybe you could just each give us briefly an overview of how you got into running and, and what you're doing now. So um, Lori, if you want to start, um, you can kind of give us a little bit of background on your running. I, I think I started running when I was a sophomore in college. I was trying to figure out exactly when. I think it was that year because of my roommate, one of my roommates was a runner. And so I just started running with her, I think mostly kind of to stay in shape and probably shed the freshman. <laughs> Mine was more than 15, I think. So whatever it was. And um, I remember that our first 5K was in downtown Chicago. I went to school in the suburbs of, of uh, off of Chicago, and it was called the Rogaine 5K. And I, that just cracks me up. And I, I'm sure I wore some sort of cotton shirt and cotton bike shorts and um, tube socks, like squished down or something. I don't know. But um I, it obviously stuck. I just loved it from there. And I, I can remember when I ran my first three miles and my first five miles. And um, I've just really been running ever since. That year was the first year I ran a marathon. I had no idea what was involved as far as training or I don't even think I ran the full length of a marathon in training for it. But um, it took me probably about five and a half hours to finish that course, which I ran again two years later 
um, in a, in a little bit of a better time. So, um, yeah, it's been about, I would say, well, I'm 48, 30 years since I've been running. Wow. A long, long running career. And we love that you started with the Rogaine 5k. We've heard of, you know, the beer, like Bud Light, you know, series and, and those things, but never the oh Rogaine. So that is classic. How about you, Christine? Um, I, the, when I first started running, um, I think the first sort of track team I was on was in the eighth grade. Um, I had moved to Dallas, Texas from Chicago and it was a very different environment. Um, you know, this was quite a long time ago. And so um, the South was truly like the South South. And I really felt like an outsider. Um, so track was an easy way to get to know people running, you know, like it's that that feels true to me still. Um, but it was an easy way to get to know people and sort of get into things. Um, I wouldn't say that I was a natural runner at that point, um, but that I moved the next year also. So we moved a year later to Ohio. And um, again, it was easy thing to just jump into the running. So I, I really ran through high school, um, started running cross country, and that was much more natural to me than sort of um, the quick sprints around the track. Um, we, uh, when I was in high school, we won states. And so that was, uh, like a big deal. And then I got really sick. I had encephalitis, which, um, is sort of like, um, I, I don't know. It, it was an inflammation of my spine, spinal fluid, like the chicken pox got in there. It was not good at all. So I had to quit. Um, but then, uh, sort of like Lori was saying the, um, you know, in college, it was an easy way to stay healthy and get outside. Um, you know, I could certainly, you know, meet people easily that way also. So it's always been that sort of grounding place for me. I mean, I would say the same is true for church. Like I always found church to be a safe place and running to be a safe place. And so I just carried that through. Um, I did stop running for about five years when, um, my kids were all really little, like I just couldn't swing it. I didn't have the discipline to get up in the mornings or any of that kind of thing. Um, but um, when my marriage fell apart running, also another <laughs> another safe place to go to. So, um, so it's just been sort of a constant throughout my life. I'm not somebody that feels like I have to race a lot. I certainly have raced, but um, that's not my driving force for it. I just want to say you're both very modest. I, I have enjoyed both of your narratives so far about how you started running. You're both excellent runners and you're both very determined and hardworking runners. Um, and while Christine, we don't personally coach you and we coach Lori, so we're seeing a lot of her data. I've had the pleasure of, of running with you in the same groups and going up to Boston with you for many years. And I, I can see firsthand that you know, both you and Lori not only share a love of running, but you share a passion and you share a dedication to the sport where you constantly are working to improve. Um, if you wouldn't mind us asking, just so our listeners can get a framework, could you each share your age, how many kids you have, and um, a little bit about like your proudest running moment? Um, uh, Christine, why don't you go first? Okay. Um, I'm 48 years old and I have four kids. Um, this is always the crazy thing about my life is my eldest son is 23. So I have boys that are 23, 21 and 18. And then my daughter is four. Um, so I basically feel like I'm raising kids my whole entire life. Um, but they're beautiful and wonderful people. And I, 
my proudest running moment. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, like my best marathon time is like a three twenty seven, but um, I don't know. Actually, the and the best race I ever ran, like the most like best feeling race I ever ran was probably Big Sur. I loved the environment. I loved the feeling of it. Um, I was there with my then um, super serious boyfriend, hoping that it was going to become more. And we just had an all around amazing experience. Um, and so I, that's my favorite marathon by far is um, Big Sur. So I don't know. That's great. And Lori, tell us, um, tell us about your family and your proudest running moment. Um, I have three kids. So my oldest is a freshman in college. He's 18 and just left to take his 14 year old sister's lunch to school because she left it. And I just saw him go to the car without the lunch. So that's why I had to run over. <laughs> so uh, and then I have a middle son also who is 17 and a junior in high school. Um, and gosh, I am. Um, I mean, I think probably the most emotionally charged, fun uh, marathons I've been able to participate in were the two New York City marathons when I lived in New York City. Uh, I can't, I don't, I just don't even know how that kind of crowd feel could be replicated. Um, coming over the bridge into the borough of Manhattan when you live there, I mean, I cried the first time. It was just really overwhelming. So I loved, loved that. And, um, but I will say that one of the kind of most uh, tender, sweet moments of a race was, um, I love trail racing as well. It's like a totally different thing. You're just basically trying not to kill yourself rather than hit a certain time. And there's a great one in just outside of Birmingham, Alabama, about two hours south of where I live, called the Blood Rock. And there's a lot of parts on the trail where it's just a really steep drop on the other side. And a woman like 10 runners in front of me dropped her asthma um, shaker probably like in mile two of the race. And we formed a human chain to lower her down to get her asthma inhaler, oh that's what it's God. called, um, and, and bring it back up. And it wasn't about like, you know, how long is this taking us? Or, you know, now we're 10 minutes behind or, and it was just great. It was one of those things where it's like, okay, this is what it's all about. It's really fun. So. That's a great story. And I think that yeah. illustrates the the nature of a running community and, and particularly trail, like you said, it's a different kind of vibe, but really we've seen so many stories like that where the running community comes together and really supports each other and everyone's out there to race, but really we're all out there together. And that's, that's a, that's a great story. Um, so why don't we go a little bit into, or kind of talk about, um, Christine gave us the, the lingo for this, your, your call stories, how you <laughs> decided to go into the clergy. Christine, since you, you, you clued us into that, the, the call story, and you um, kind of alluded a little bit in your talking about running um, and, and the, some of the things you went through during your running and what you used running to cope with. Um, but we'd love to hear your call story and, and how you ended up um, coming into the clergy. Um, sure. I um, So as I said earlier, the church, I grew up in church and it was always a safe, good space for me. I didn't grow up in a super religious um, family. We, you know, we went to church on Sundays and we obviously went on Christmas and Easter, but, um, you know, I didn't grow up praying at the table. I didn't grow up saying nighttime prayers, um, but it was a constant for me. And I basically just knew it as a safe, loving space. And I'd had good experiences there. Um, 
And so, you know, in college, when I hit a, I had a rough patch at the beginning, my freshman year of college, um, I knew that I could go to the church and somehow it would be okay. Um, I didn't go to church very often in college, you know, maybe two or three times a year, but when I did go, I was welcomed and it felt good to me. I, I naively did not have, um, and, and I think this na naivete was sort of good for me, but I didn't have this realization at that time of the ways that Christianity could be hateful and hard. Like I just, I didn't know that piece of it. Um, and so it just always felt safe. And when my, so I, you know, I had kids and we went to church. Um, when my youngest son, who's, as I said, uh, now 18, when he was about three, my then husband um, was having a really hard time and um, trying to figure out, it came to light that he was trying to figure out uh, how he understood his sexual identity. And, um, you know, through a very tumultuous time where we really supported one another through it, um, he, uh, he came to understand that he was gay. And um, for me, one of the things that religion had taught me, and I also felt true in my marriage vows was, um, you know, I committed to this person to love him. And so in that space, um, loving him meant divorcing him, which I had a really hard time reconciling. How do I fit all of this together? And I was also super just I just, I'm a thinker and I wanted to figure out how this had happened. And so many people probably wouldn't be like, oh, let me go to seminary. <laughs> but that was my answer to this situation. Um, and I went to seminary thinking I was just in some ways selfishly, I was going to figure out this problem and it was going to be good for me to, you know, make light of it in a religious setting. But I had some great experiences of um, religion in community, uh, some um, international experiences and that kind of thing. And I saw then what the church really could be in the community um, and how the church could be uh, a wellspring of hope and goodness for people. And when I saw that and I experienced that, that's when I was like, okay, I could be a pastor because I just never saw myself as the pastor type. But being able to really truly help people and build healthy communities, I believed that I could do that. Um, and so anyway, that's sort of the, the way I got into it. Um, Can I interrupt and just ask you a quick question? Yeah. Um, I just, I wanna clarify, you, you had a major blow, like your whole life tra trajectory change. You had two young kids and most people would probably go to therapy. You went to seminary with two young kids with something that you were grappling with and and therefore did so in in, in, a, in a very public way in grappling with that and figuring out what your narrative was going to be was that cathartic or were there times when you were like what am i doing because of the stage of your life when it happened and the ages of your kids and and all of those things yeah so i also went to therapy <laughs> um a lot of therapy um I can remember my therapist one time saying to me, you know, I have this lunch hour and I'm just going to put you on like the emergency call list. I don't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing, but like I went to seminary, but I went to a lot of therapy and um, 
I mean, it was cathartic. It was also, I mean, I'm a little bit of a control freak. It was also a way that I thought I can control the situation. Um, that proved to really not be true, but um, having some structure of homework and class, you know, it gave me an outlet that felt, again, sort of safe and like, I don't know, I could control it. Um, but, and like I said, it was, it was, it was somewhat cathartic. It was a little bit selfish. And, um, I learned a lot about myself during those four years. I would have to think too, though, that really probably informs how you, how you are as a pastor now and how you approach your, you know, your, your congregants and, um, your pastoral duties. I, I would think that that probably laid the foundation for, for how you approach your, you, you know, your position in the clergy. Yeah, certainly um, true. Like, so, I mean, I, I said, I went to a lot of therapy and I went to seminary. I also, I had a great pastor that was my pastor at the time. And I have told him this numerous times and I have said it publicly, like that he sort of saved my life. Um, that might be stretching it a little bit, but um, he was a super non-judgmental. Like when I say that, you know, the ugly side of Christianity, he and the church that I attended at that time were not the ugly side of Christianity. And he was super non-judgmental and, you know, listened to my crazy questions and my railings against God and my, you know, everything I had to say. <laughs> um, and so I was lucky in, in that, in that way that I had that grounding also. Yeah, that's great. Lori, tell us a little bit about your, how you, how you came to go to um, go to Hebrew, Hebrew Union College, right? You went to yeah. HUC. So tell us how you decided to go, go there. Well, first of all, Christine, I just so appreciate hearing your story. And um, I just feel like already I, I want to share so many things with you. Again, we'll just have our own little session after this. Um, but it, what a pleasure. So thank you. Um, so I, I remember in my final year of seminary, uh, the president then of our uh, college saying to us that most rabbis go into this field because they really um, need the affirmation and they really like to be liked and they really like to feel um, appreciated. And I remember sitting there thinking, oh, I'd rather nobody pay attention to me. I'd rather just be home by myself. I, I, I mean, I also am very much drawn to the community building aspect of this work. And that's probably the number one for me. But I remember thinking, oh, maybe I chose the wrong profession because that's not what drives me at all. It's funny, I'm actually a three on the Enneagram, which I'm guessing Christine might be as well. Um, but I have a direct line to six, which is, I, I like to be in control and I like to be a doer, but I also just would like no attention for it at the same time. It's a very strange combination. And, um, and, but I've since come to learn that I think a lot of us go into this work and spend the time in seminary because we're healing something that broke and we might not always be aware of it. I feel like Christine, from what you've shared in your case, you did, you were aware, but um, my dad died my senior year of high school and my mom was, I think so broken appropriately from that experience that I now looking back, think I just focused on not being broken so that we could just help her um, get through this horrible time. And it was only about six months later that I left for undergraduate. Um, and so now when I look back at some of the like 
blank months that I have no memory of as an undergrad. And I, and I couldn't figure out why I think it's, you know, was that sort of trauma that I had no idea I was even kind of dealing with. So, you know, I went to college and I became a um, Russian studies and foreign relations uh, major. And I thought I would go into the foreign service and I was all set to um, spend the summer between my junior and senior year in Moscow. And the Jewish nonprofit that I was uh, volunteering for, the Joint Distribution Committee, uh, they decided not to send volunteers to Moscow because there had been like a resurgence in uh, political unrest uh, that spring. And so they asked if I would go to their Jerusalem office and work with Russian immigrants who had just come over to Israel and I really just wanted to use my language skills and travel. So I ended up in Israel for the summer and I could just sort of leave it right there. But um, I, I just got that kind of spark of um, infection that happens, I think, sometimes when people and I would say when Jews go, but I don't think it's just Jews. Right. Because Jerusalem is a holy city for Muslims and for Christians. And and just if you're interested in history or, or spirituality at all, Jerusalem is captivating. And and I certainly got the bug. Um, I spent a couple of months there that summer and came back thinking, I, I just want to learn more. And it just so happened that the the rabbi at the synagogue in Evanston, where I went to school, uh, was a female rabbi. And um, she had actually gone to Northwestern, which where I was a student, now a senior, and she was articulate and eloquent and just so brilliant. And I just took classes with her and I started to go to services, which like you, Christine, I did not grow up in a religious household at all. I mean, we, we really, we were show, we were the Christmas Easter equivalent Jews. We were the Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur Jews. Um, that was about the only time I ever showed up. And even then my brother and I would fight over who could lean against the wall and sleep. So, you know, it was like, is it my year for the wall or is it your year? Um, so, but I would go to services now and the prayer for healing would be sung by the cantor and I would just weep. And I couldn't figure out why I was, it was so emotional for me. And it was really in that year that I figured out, I think I want to go to seminary. And I think it's because I was also trying to figure out, you know, what is my place in this world and, and how I wanted other people to be able to have that opening and window that I was having. So that's really what took me there. And, you know, now I have a better understanding of everything I went through then and still figuring it out so, and we should mention you share the pulpit with your husband right <laughs> yes we met in jerusalem yeah and and so did you both um go to um go to seminary together we in seminary at the same no, time no actually the funny story for that is that my one of my best friends from high school who happens to be catholic uh she went to berkeley I grew up in Southern California. She went to Berkeley and her boyfriend who she then married was from Miami. Um, and the night before I was going to leave for seminary, I spoke to her on the phone and I said, you just have to ask CJ, that's her now husband. I said, you just have to ask him if he has, you know, any cute friends when I come back that he can introduce me to, preferably Jewish. And, and she said, you won't believe this, but one of CJ's best friends from high school in Miami is also going to seminary. How many can there be? How many Jewish seminary programs can there be? And lo and behold, he was on my program and we started to date and we got married too. So our two Catholic friends like to say that they introduced us. I love that story. That's, that's a, such a great story. Yeah. Both of your stories are so incredible. And um, it really resonates with me that you both um, went through a struggle before deciding on your career paths. And 
I'm sure that because of that, you have naturally so much empathy for your congregants and you really understand what it's like for people to feel pain and, and, and work through that and, and in a non-judgmental way. And I think that's so important because so many people often feel that spiritual spiritual entities, spiritual communities can sometimes be judgmental and knowing that your leader is not is so instrumental in helping people um, sort of understand their path. And so to that end, suddenly you both find yourselves in roles this year where you are probably helping every congregant with some kind of struggle because no one's doing great this year. So um, Christine, we'll start with you. How are you dealing with that yourself? How are you dealing with the onslaught of recognizing that you your role is to support your congregants and knowing that there are no answers, that a lot of people are really struggling and also wanting to take care of yourself so that you can help others. How are you doing that here as we are entering month 11 of this phase? Yeah, so I think, at least for me, um, and I, I am guessing that Laura, I think Laura and I could talk about this for a long time, but I'm guessing this is true for her too. Um, if you are somebody with a trauma history, um, you know, so I have my marital trauma, you know, we all have different types of trauma that we bring along with us. So if you are somebody with, um, with a trauma history, the pandemic has just exasperated that, right? And so at least my experience, my personal experience and my experience with so many of my people in my congregation and my friends and like my kids, right? Like is that the, the, the pandemic brings up all this old stuff too. And really for me, you know, I have some really good healthy coping mechanisms, which, you know, running would be one of those. Um, prayer would be one of those. Friends would be one of those. But then, you know, I don't know if this is true for everybody, but then I also have unhealthy coping mechanisms, which I have seen those sort of creep up in my own personal life. And then for people that I minister to, um, that's also been true. So trying to keep the, um, you know, I think mindfulness and awareness of those things help me personally. Um, but with my congregants, the, the challenge has been, right, we're in this whole virtual world and I can pick up on things in person or in a live worship service better than I can online. You know, somebody is going to cry when I give them communion much more, I mean, not that I want people to cry, but much more readily um, in a live worship service than they are when I'm like, all right, get your bread and your crackers and your wine and grape juice, whatever it is you're using to, you know, like it's, we've lost that piece that allows for the release for emotions that I think is just a gift of religion. And, um, and so that piece has been such a struggle for, for me personally as a, as a clergy person. Um, I know I'm like talking all about, the, <laughs> talking around it, but, um, but that, so anyway, for me, that, um, that piece has been hard. And Christine too, you're, you're in the middle of changing congregations, you're, you're moving. So talk a little bit about how that is now to have to leave where you've been for, for how many years, how many years have you been at your current Congregation yeah. of Prince of Peace. So I've been here um, full time for seven years and I consulted here um, just as a teacher um, 
for a year while I was serving another congregation. So right. mostly eight years. Yeah. So that's a, that's a big amount of time. How, how do you feel like it is, you know, to depart and say goodbye to that congregation and, and then transition to a new one and, and meet, meet those congregants and um, get integrated into that community. Talk about those challenges. Um, so it has been like, I would, I would not choose to leave or go to a new congregation during this time. I mean, it was, you know, like so many things, timing. And I don't think anybody thought that the pandemic was going to go on this long. Um, I luckily, and, and I think this is the gift of being a, like, if there is one of being 11 months into the pandemic is people have, are learning to be more creative for we are like, I think that the church and um, like offices and schools, everybody has learned that they are much more nimble than they thought they were. Um, so the gift for me was we were able to think through how can we do an, a good enough goodbye um, given our circumstances. So I, my last week here, my last like full week, which was last week was, um, you know, sort of this long goodbye, which was painful, um, but also appropriate. Um, so I had an opportunity to say goodbye via Zoom or we did drive-bys and that kind of thing. Um, certainly it was, I just finished writing like my final goodbye, like newsletter article. And it was really hard to not hug people. And, and I'm not that much of a hugger, um, but it was hard to not hug people and, you know, give them communion in person one last time or those kinds of pieces. Um, but I, one of the gifts for me is um, I'm staying in the same county and because community building is so important to me, like I also see it as an opportunity to say, oh, well, we can partner together. Like my senior pastor is staying here and he and I work well together. So I feel like it's also an opportunity. And I think that piece, like, I don't know, that's, that's an inspiring piece for me in leaving a place. Um, getting to know the new congregation. I'm not sure how that's going to go yet. Um, we've done every like interview over Zoom mostly. I mean, we have a couple in-person things, but um, we'll have to be creative and nimble in that regard too. So um, it, for you, Christine, and you mentioned this, that it's hard to read your congregants. It's hard to how are you helping people that you reached, have been reaching out to? How are you identifying when there's an issue and when you do, how are you helping them through their trauma during this time? And the purpose of my question is so that those listening who are having a hard time, maybe they can hear some of the tools that you've given to those people and, and have a little bit of a takeaway from your advice. Um, so, I mean, there's a couple ways that um, I've been intentional about helping people cope through the pandemic. Um, since we are a religious sort of community, we certainly have groups of people that have been meeting throughout the pandemic. So for example, I, I used to always teach a class on Tuesdays. That class was much more um, focused on biblical texts or biblical books. Um, and during the pandemic, we certainly did that, but it also became a place of support and care. And so it morphed a little bit, um, realizing the needs of what people, you know, sort of brought to the table, if you will. And so like, for one thing, if people are listening that are trying to figure out how that looks, um, I, I think the intentionality of conversation with other people is really important. And it, at least for me and in the religious community has been helpful to have like 
a thing to use as a springboard. So for us, it would be like a scripture or a psalm or something like that, because it helps us to sort of get in at emotions from, you know, the back door. Because it's hard to really just start off a conversation by saying, you know, things are really going really poorly for me today, and this is why. But if you go in the back door and some psalmist is lamenting about how angry they are at God, well, it's much more easy for me to now say I'm super angry at God. Um, I also, I mean, like I mentioned before, I mean, I'm going to sound like a commercial for therapy, but like, I also, like, I recognize the limitations of my abilities in pastoral care. Like I can listen and I have some skills that I bring to the table, but I also have my list of, you know, <laughs> these are therapists that I would recommend, um, because I just, I, I believe in it so much. It has been like one of the best gifts I've ever given to myself. And so, um, I certainly recommend people for, um, to go see a therapist and to, um, you know, depending on the person, like, I mean, honestly, like getting outside and not just staying in my own space also makes a difference because it's easy for me to, um, you know, just sort of, I don't know, stay, especially when it's cold, just stay inside and not do anything. But then that just exasperates the problems of feeling lonely and isolated. That's great advice. And Lori, talk to us and tell us, um, similar, I'm sure many of them are similar to Christine's, what you've seen and how you're helping your congregants and yourself during this uh, really challenging year. Yeah, I mean, a lot of what Christine res said really resonates. I think that emotional release that can come from being live and together in the sanctuary in a congregation, um, it's just hard to recreate that on a virtual platform, whether it's live stream or Zoom or whatever it might be. And I'm just curious to see if the floodgates open, you know, when we are able to come back and be together. I mean, just even those times where you're sitting in the congregation and you don't expect to be moved and you are, and you find yourself just crying because something had latent content and just connected with you. And so uh, that's just harder to, to recreate, I definitely think is true. I, but I, I mean, I think people just in general miss being together, even the introverts among us. And, and so, you know, the ability to give someone like a full frontal hug as they walk through the synagogue doors or just to let people know that they're seen and loved in that way. I mean, I think people are really lonely for that in particular and loneliness connects so much to fear, right? Loneliness drives up our fear levels. Um, and we just know that. So, um, I think we do our best, even in this virtual world, to connect people however we can, whether, as Christine said, to other professionals in the community who really can address some of the issues that maybe they're struggling with. And I mean, I try to remind people to take the long view and recognize that there are some silver linings to this period of time um, and how can we capitalize on those. And I, I just want to stop and say something also intentional about this week, which is you know, when we, for those of us who, who tuned into the inaugural events yesterday, to hear our now uh, new president speak the number of deaths in our country was really releasing. I know it was for me, and, I, and I've heard a lot of people say that. It was like something got lifted because we could collectively mourn this incredible loss. And 
that is just an example of what we're, we're missing when we can't be together in that way to like be able to share not just our celebrations, but like our struggles in that same way. And even if you don't turn to the person next to you and say, I'm having a really crappy week and I, I just, I feel like I want to cry every minute that they're sitting next to you and chanting the same prayer or singing the same song is so comforting. And Christine, one of my teachers at the seminary um, that I studied with last month, she taught two psalms that she called the where the hell are you god psalms there's no you know happy tie up at the end like don't worry even though we're upset right now we're hopeful that you'll be there for us tomorrow it's like no they're just kind of like this is a really bad time and i don't know how you abandon us and I've, i i feel like i have nothing and so i think acknowledging that reality is really important too at least it has been um for me but uh i think I have been really heartened to see that people are um, kind of getting to know themselves. I know I have in new ways. Um, I, I'm, I'm not only working with running coaches for the first time, which I'm loving, but I'm learning to play the guitar, which is something I've wanted to do basically for probably three decades. I know people who are writing ethical wills for their kids, others, uh, women in my women's group who are painting for the first time. So. Um, I think these are some of the ways that people are kind of taking advantage of the time, um, which I think is one of our, I know we'll, we'll get to this in a little bit, but it's, I think one of the learning pieces of this time is, okay, so this is our reality right now. And, and what can we do that expresses our gratitude still for the fact that we are among the living and, and we're here. That's a great point. And, and I want to get to in a second, kind of what you hope to carry forward from this once we're out of this pandemic, what those kind of silver linings, what you hope to to move forward. But I did want to just touch on, on on a quick question that you you know that you that you started touching on. Um, when congregants ask you, you know, how can God let this happen? You know, how we're having all this suffering. What is God's role, and is there a God? How do you answer them, Lori? Do you want to start? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, Christine, are you going first? Um, okay, so, uh, you know, for me, it's not a difficult uh, question or comment to respond to because my theology is such that God sets things in motion, but um, it is much more of a universal, I have much more of a universal theology than kind of a particular intimate theology. Not that I don't have my own conversations and lashing out at God, but the idea of sort of God playing an integral role in our everyday um lives, it, it's just not the way I sort of envision um, my covenantal relationship with God. So I feel like God gave all these opportunities and put put me here and, and now I have a role to play. And that is as important, if not more, than the fact that I even got here in the first place. Um, so this idea that... It, I think the rabbis say that, like, when, when speaking about doctors or positions that they are God's hands on earth. Well, I think that we are the instruments of, you know, how the world moves forward. Um, the world was given to us as a gift and now we play a huge role in, in how it and how it goes forward. So 
you know, th that that there are natural disasters and really this virus and this pandemic could be considered a natural trauma. It's 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 not something despite some of the rhetoric we've heard. It's not something that someone created in a lab and then infected the world with. Um, and so it's an, a challenge, no doubt, because of the enormous toll to, to life and to the economy and to people's well-being. Um, but it's also an enormous opportunity to think about, you know, how interconnected we are and if we want to think that we are um, living our own sort of in our own bubble no we are we are what I do has a ripple effect that hits Christine and what she does hits Lisa and what she does hits Julie and we we all all our actions affect one another so much more than we understand and um, and so that's what I think is one of the le lessons that we're meant to be learning and when we recognize that the unity, the oneness of all of us, then we're closer to God than we've ever been. That's the message is, is that oneness. So anyway, I'll throw it to Christine, but that's one of the ways I respond. That's a great response and very helpful too. Christine, go ahead. Yeah, I, I, similarly, um, I mean, often if somebody asks me that question pointedly, um, you know, it's just a way for them to get into dealing with whatever it is that their specific issue is. You know, they just received a cancer diagnosis or their dad was diagnosed with COVID or, you know, whatever it might be. So often I try like with a specific person to turn it around and get them to talk about what it is that's really bothering them. Why are they asking that large, large question? I mean, that's the large question that sent me yeah. to seminary, you know, like how could this happen in my life? Right. But the, the things that heal me are, are me dealing with the pieces that play into that. Mm -hmm. But from a theological perspective, I mean, Lori and I are very similar in that regard. Um, I've often used this analogy. Um, my eldest son, who's 23, when he was, I don't know, first or second grade, whenever you have to write a fire plan, um, he came home with his fire plan written on his paper and it was on our refrigerator for such a long time. And it basically said, um, you know, get out of bed, crawl to the door, it's hot, go to window, jump out, meet at the tall tree. <laughs> that, that was his plan, right? Like we did not have a tall tree. And so I was like, what is this? This doesn't even work. But like the idea of that plan was that somehow we were all going to get out and we we're going to be safe, right? Like everybody is going to be okay. And that's what we're going to do. Um, I don't think God's trying to get us out of here, but I do think that God has this overarching dream for the world, right? And that is unity and safety and love. And, you know, like that this is a graced place that God has created, like that can be true. And then that can be the plan, right? That this would be a unified world and that somehow we all get to partner in that to reach that dream. So I don't think God has like these little markers up. Oh, yep. There's that piece of the plan. There's that piece of the plan. I think it's more, here's my vision and all these little pieces along the way are how we get to that. I see an underlying theme with, with what you both said, which I love that they're very similar in keeping with our theme of unity. Um, and that is in order to execute a plan, whether you are a person who believes in God or a spiritual entity or, or don't, the theme is you have to have gratitude. You have to take stock of what you have before to, to deal with the struggle. And also before you look at everything globally, you sort of have to look at yourself and say, well, what is going right? 
because it's really easy, especially during these times, to look at everything that's going wrong. And if your perspective is always just take stock in what is going right, um, at least in, in what I'm hearing from both, both of you, that is the place from which we start to figure out where to go next or how to deal with the next big thing that happens. I think there's another word, if I can jump in, um, that, that Christine, you just used, and I think it's at the core of everything too, and it's the word grace. Mm -hmm. um, and I was thinking about, in, in sort of prepping for today, a story from early on in the pandemic. I don't think I shared this with with you all yet, but um, it's it's one of the ones I'll never forget. And early on, when I would go running in the morning, I would sort of pause somewhere pretty in the park and I would turn on my video and I would do a little video tape to put on Facebook for our congregation page, just like a um, intention for the day. Like, here's what I'm thinking about today and I hope this lifts your spirits. And it was just a way to connect. And I think I did that all the way through from Passover to Shavuot, sort of, it, oh, I, I know, I remember I did it for the counting of the Omer. So each day I counted the Omer and I gave like a little inspiration. And um, anyway, I was in the park and I passed this woman. She was walking, I was running. And then I got to a place where I was sort of by myself and I stopped and I was doing my little recording and, and she went by and then I finished and I uploaded it and then I kept running and I had my headphones on. I'm listening to, I don't know what, probably your podcast. And, and, um, and as I pass her again, she sort of signals and is talking to me. And so I stop and I stop my whatever I'm listening to. And I said, I'm so sorry, I didn't hear you. And she said, are you done filming? Because I come to the park to get away from technology. She was really angry and I was really taken aback. And I took a deep breath and I thought in that moment, this woman is upset. She's having a really hard time, has nothing to do with me. She doesn't even know me and I have an opportunity to respond. And I was still, my heart was beating. I was crushed. I was hurt. What do you mean? So I guess apparently I do like to be liked. So, um, so I just said, I'm really sorry. And yes, I'm done. And I kept going. And I think back to that moment because I feel like grace is the free pass that we give someone who may or may not deserve it because we hope that they'll give it back to us another time. And this pandemic is yes, about unity, but I think it's a lot about grace and it's about being graceful to ourselves too. You know, like, I mean, whether we're overworking or underworking because we can't deal with what's going on or we're drinking too much wine or deciding we're not drinking anymore at all because we drink too much wine or we hire a running coach so we don't overrun, whatever it is that we're doing, um, we just gotta have to be kind to ourselves. And I think the kinder we are to ourselves, it's easier to be kinder to others. So grace has been a really big word for me. And I, I like it because Christine, I don't know if you know, but in Judaism, we just, it's like we're not allowed to use that word. It's owned by the Christian community and I'm taking it back. I did not know that. <laughs> You can have it. It's a, it's a great word for everybody. It's a great thing for everybody. Yeah, that's really um, beautiful what you said, Lori. And I love the word grace. I love that you used it, Christine, because it's a word that Lisa and I, it's one of the many buzzwords we both picked up during the pandemic, like pivot, unprecedented, and some of those other words. And that's because probably daily, I have to remind myself when dealing with myself and others that none of us are at our best right now. Um, no one's, 
people are thriving in the pandemic, meaning we're doing the best we can and we're doing well with the, we're in a pandemic. And um, last year, about a year ago, we hosted our anniversary celebration. Little did we know what was ahead. It was a big group. It was a beautiful celebration of our 10 years. And um, one of the themes was um, overcoming hard situations. And one of our speakers was, um, uh, in addition to author Cindy Kuzma, was Rachel Miller, who we've had on the podcast, who lost her husband. And there was something she said that resonated with us. And we, we continue to use this phrase. And it's sort of the corollary to, to grace. And what it is, is instead of asking someone, what are you doing? Or how are you doing? Rather, you say, how are you managing? Mm. And it's kind of taking that to the level of, hey, I know you're not at your best already, so I'm not going to expect you to respond. Great. Good. Fine. I'm acknowledging that things aren't so great. So how are you managing in that in that sphere? So to me, that's kind of like grace. It's like giving yourself permission to say, I'm not thriving, doing the best I can, and then thinking about others and how they interact with you and understanding that, hey, when that person snapped at me or when that person criticized me for using technology in the park, it has nothing to do with me they're not at their best either. So I just, sorry to ramble, but I just think that's really great what you both said. And we also are, have been repeating to ourselves and our runners over and over again this year, give yourself some grace. Yeah. So, you know, give that other person grace as well, but and turn it inwards towards yourself and recognize that you may not be at your best and the things that you're going through and that you're feeling and how you're running is feeling right now may just be a product of, of what else is going on. So that is, that I think, um, you know, unity was our theme, but I think we're gonna we're gonna leave this with grace being being the message that that we feel applies not only to community and religious communities and that aspect, but to ourselves and and, and to our running. Um, um, if we can touch on quickly before we kind of turn to running, because we'd like to hear about your running and how running has has helped you both through this pandemic, but. Um, silver linings. What what do you hope? And we've talked a little bit about this, but um, and we can start with Christine. What do you hope that we take away from from this pandemic and this experience? We've had a lot of challenges and we've gone through a lot of rough times. But um, like Christine was touching on before, you know, some some really wonderful moments too. And some um, Lori was talking about, you know, the the benefits that we've gotten from the extra time that we've had. What Christine do you hope that we take away from this pandemic? Um, the, one of the things that I've realized uh, for me personally and like in my work environment and then also trying to help my family sort of you know, make it to the next day or the next whatever they're hoping for. Um, and I, I said this earlier, but a little bit, um, but it's, it's been sort of a light bulb thing for me is that we're much more nimble than we realized. And for me personally, um, that that is really important because I often put up things or I, I design things in my life that offer a sense of security. Um, and then when those things change, it makes me feel unstable. Um, but they're like these false sense of securities, right? But what I've had to learn throughout these past 11 months is that I'm really much more nimble than I realized. And, and I you know, I remember thinking like in March when my daughter was doing virtual preschool and she was like three and a half, like, I'm like, I can't possibly do this, you know, like, and here I am <laughs> 11 months later, still doing it, you know, and, and it's okay. Now it took me a long time to get to okay, but that I, I was able to, to fashion myself and to, to move along sort of those waters and get to that space. But I think it's also true. Um, 
at least I, I know for my congregation, um, the, the push of the pandemic has forced us to step into waters that the church has been, I don't not resistant, but just like we haven't had to figure out AV equipment. We haven't had to figure out sound equipment or I mean, many things that many business have been, businesses have been doing for a long time. The church is like, ah, come to us and then you can experience what we're, what we're offering. But um, this has forced us to say, okay, how do we actually reach people? And that like is the commission and the call of the church, right? To share God's love with others instead of just like waiting for them to show up. So for me, that nimble piece has been so important. And that's one of the things that I really, really hope I'm able to carry um, carry forward. That's great. Lori, what about you? Um, I'll, I'll start where Christine left off, which is I think it's not just churches, but a lot of synagogues realized, you know, that that we might have been talking for a lot of years about moving beyond our walls, but this pandemic really um, caused us to think about what does it mean to create community? And does community mean that people have to just come to us? How do we bring community to them? And obviously being able to be in person as one option or element of community building will be warmly welcomed back into our lives, but, um, but it needs to not be the only one. Here in Nashville, we have an entire community of Jews that are growing on what we call the east side, east side, east Nashville. Um, there are no synagogue buildings in the east side of Nashville, but there's a whole community there. And a lot of the conversation over the years has been, well, they need to get in their cars and drive on over. But it's like, well, maybe we need to be bringing Judaism to the east side. So that's just one example that I really resonate to. And um, that's part of the uh, change that we've all been making professionally. But you know, I think that um, for me, when I think back to some of these silver linings, 2020 has really forced us to rein in a lot of aspects of our lives, right? Like not just our contact with one another, but our travel and our socializing and our spending and our work. I mean, it's, it's pretty paradoxical that this quarantine, this confinement in which we found ourselves actually set so many of us free in a lot of really amazing ways, free to study. I mean, I'm studying more than I, I ever would have given myself time for, to meditate, to pray, to take a walk, to bake bread or cookies, and to spend a lot of sacred time with the people we love, sometimes a little more time maybe than we would have otherwise um, chosen, but but nonetheless, um, some good time. and. And I think COVID really caused a lot of us to ask ourselves some really important questions. Like, I mean, I ask myself, how many meetings do I really need to attend? Or do I need to spend so much time away from home? Um, and I think the global fear of death, frankly, stripped a lot of nonsense from our lives. And from that stripping away, something kind of amazing has emerged. And so for me, I, I hope to work from home more. Um, I hope to say no to a lot more social obligations that I used to say yes to. And I think we're really going to have to fight hard to remember and live by those lessons when the pull of our former ways reasserts itself, because it will. And, um, you know, despite the pain and death that has visited so many during COVID, I think that we will have to fight for the silver lining beauty to remain. But it, it will be there if we do. 
it's a good point. I feel like um, we feel like we've learned a lot, but once we go back to some sense of semblance of normalcy, it may all just go out the window and we go back. I kind of dread that day at this point, going back to, I think back to a year ago and how crazy and running around with that kids activities and social obligations and meetings and all of that stuff that kept us our, the busyness of our lives. Um, I, 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 I a little bit dread going back to that, but I share your hope that we can take these silver linings and 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 carry through with them and not forget the lessons that we've learned. So that's that's really valuable. So just to, to wrap up and close up, tell us how you've used running to to you know for your own self-care, to to give yourself some goals and some, you know, that extra time that we've had. Um, Lori, why don't you start and, and talk about your running, what you're doing now? And um, we obviously know what you're doing now, but you can kind of, you know, how how the pandemic has helped reshape um, how you use running and what how you look at your running goals. A short story is just that um, the year after we moved to Nashville, 2007, I ran a race here that's a really challenging one, and I injured myself somehow, and I've never felt like I enjoyed running as much for those couple of years afterwards, and I went to a ton of different PT and chiropractic care, and anyway, then I just decided, well, I was just going to be sort of a sometimes runner, but never, I wasn't going to race anymore, and I wasn't going to, you know, sign up for races, and um, and then that just became my narrative. I even went to an adult running camp about five years ago with, a, with some friends in North Carolina. And when they started, you know, went around like, what are you training for? Why'd you come? And I was like, oh, I'm just here with my friends. Like, I'm not training for anything. You know, that was like my story, my badge of like, I'm too cool for this. And anyway, um, the pandemic just made me turn to running for coping, really. And I just started running a ton, but I learned a lot of really cool things that I love to run by myself. Um, it's like my time. It's not that I don't love running with my friends and I still do, but, um, I love listening to a podcast. I think I listened to every book you, you guys recommended. I started with, um, Dina Castor's book, which I loved so much. That was a game changer. Let your mind run. If people haven't read it, they need to. Um, I read Bev's 26 marathons. I listened to Matt Fitzgerald's running the dream. Um, I downloaded and listened to, even though I think it was above my pay grade, the um, ROAR, the one on women's physiology. Um, so I mean, just keep them coming because I, I put them right on my audible and listen. So yeah, and, and during the beginning of the pandemic, it was like I could not process. I couldn't read any books from my book club. I couldn't process information. It was weird. I didn't have the same focus, but anything running, I could just, I was like intent. I could hear everything. And um and so I just ran and ran and ran. And thankfully my body did not give out and I made it through the 2020 and then decided that I was gonna take all that running I love so much and make something good come from it. So that's when I called you ladies. And that's really been my running for me during my pandemic. And um, I just think for those of us who have bodies that let us move in that way, it is a tremendous gift. And there is actually, and I'll turn it to Christine, there's a beautiful prayer that now means so much more to me in our morning service. Um, we call it Asheri Yatsar, but um, for those of you that are familiar with the Asheri Yatsar et Adam um, the words are Nikavim, Nikavim, Kalulim, Kalulim. We thank God for our bodies because if the parts of our bodies that were meant to be open are closed or the parts that are, are meant to be closed are somehow opened, um, we can't literally, the words are la'amod lefanecha, but I say la'rutz lefanecha, we can't stand before you. I say, and I, I could never run, right? I mean, just think about when we're premenstrual, that's hard enough. So 
anyway, I, I, I say that prayer a lot in the mornings when I head out on my run because I'm just super grateful um, for a working body. So that's great, Christine. What about you? How what have you? I, I saw. I know you. You've done. You just did uh, one of the bishops' events races, right? So you actually managed to get in one of those races. I did. Um, it great. was. Um, yeah, I mean, I just ran it. I didn't try and race it. I didn't train for it. Um, that's the only thing I've done in person in so, so, so long. Um, and even though I have plenty of races sort of in my, you know, back pocket or whatever that I've done, um, and that like, it's not, it's like, I, I think I mentioned, it's not my driving force. Um, what it has always been for me is, um, you know, like when I'm running, like, I don't know the neuroscience behind it or anything, but when I'm running, I can integrate sort of my soul and my mind much better. Um, I've often joked that uh, if I ever can't run, then I won't be able to preach. Like I figure, I figure all things out while I'm running. Even and I could be sitting at a computer for four hours, but then I'll go for a run. I'm like, ah, now it's all clear. But, um, but one of the things that's interesting for me, so I've certainly been running during the pandemic, um, but like maybe four times a week. Um, I, I have never been good about giving myself sleep or rest. Um, I did get hurt in the beginning of July cause I was running, running, running. And I ended myself up at a PT and he was like, no running. Um, I could bike. Um, and now I'm back, you know, now I'm back on the horse and I'm running again, but I used to be a five hour sleep, five hours a night sleeper. And I would get up at 4.45 in the morning and run. And now I'm seven hours. Like if I have to go back to getting up at 4.45, I don't know. Um, but one of the gifts I've given myself during the pandemic is uh, being a little bit easier on myself in regards to my running. I still get my miles in or whatever, but um, that has honestly been a gift to me uh, for somebody who's felt like she had to run like six days a week, every year of my life, it seems like, um, that's been great for me. Um, I, I often like, um, Laurie, when you were talking about, uh, listening to books and, um, you know, how, how you process things, um, while you're running. I, I also used to run with, um, friends all the time. And during the pandemic, that was not as possible. I do have one friend that I've sort of like bubbled with and we've run together. Um, but I, I have um, needed more quiet in my brain. Like there's like, I, I used to always run with headphones and there's no headphones. There's no, like, I just out the door. I just like that, especially when we were deep in the quarantine, being able to get out of the house and feel like I could breathe. Um, I was so thankful for like when you were talking about your body, so thankful for my body and that it could give me this gift of being able to breathe and enjoy the world. Um, because that was the time I felt like free and good. And, you know, you get all that, the endorphins and all that stuff going too. I think it's interesting to use the word breathe too, because I feel like that also was one of those powerful metaphors this year, right? In the realm of social justice and yeah. just kind of the oppressiveness of what was going on divisively in our country. So I hear you on that, like yeah. taking in that air was really therapeutic. So crucial. I feel like. You know, I think on that note, we're, we're going to wrap it up because I feel like, and I know Julie feels like this too, that um, we've talked about running today, but we've learned so much and we've really, you've helped us, um, I think, really 
conceptualize and understand um, how to frame everything that we're going through. And, and just um, one thing, again, you know, we started out saying that our theme was unity. And um, even though you both come from different religions and, and you know, lead your spiritual leaders in different religions, uh, we kept coming back to the commonalities and we kept saying, oh, that was, you know, that's yeah. so, so many commonalities. And, um, and I really do take away the, the, the concept of grace that we talked about. And I think that's so important moving forward, both with ourselves and our running and more importantly, broadly in the community and how we're going to emerge from now that we have a light at the end of the tunnel. And it looks like hopefully we'll be getting, you know, getting back to being with people and being with our religious communities and our running communities, um, you know, carrying forward those concepts that we've learned and that we've had these past 10, 11 months to really think about and really come come to grips with. So um, you've both been so helpful in, in really illustrating that for us and articulating it. You both have been terrific. In fact, as we're sitting here and I'm listening to you both speak, I'm, my mind is thinking, we got to do some kind of panel and we can get together and, and have these ladies in person because there were just so many nuggets of wisdom that each of you shared in this hour conversation. Um, the possibilities of uh, further conversations, I think, are endless. I think you're both just phenomenal women and we're so grateful for your time. And we're so lucky that you're a part of our running community um, near and far and that um, we get to share your wisdom with everyone listening. So thank you so much to you both for your time. You are both very busy women and we recognize that this is the middle of the day on a weekday and, and we truly can't thank you enough. And you've helped both of us. So thank you. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Have a great day. And I wanted to add quickly, Lori, you are a much better mom than I am. My daughter text, emailed me earlier. She's in hybrid school and she forgot her headphones and she emailed me earlier and said, can you bring them? And I said, no, I'm sorry. I have a podcast and I can't. So she's without her headphones. Lisa, let me just tell you that my son texted me that he got down there and my daughter refused lunch. So we're, we have oh. some <laughs> I was like, okay. Yeah, well, well, you're both great mothers, runners, spiritual leaders, and, and we are really fortunate. So thank you so much for joining us. And we will see you both on, on the roads, hopefully at some point soon. But um, thanks again for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryant. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.